Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man whose house is trying to kill him. It's Richard Herring! Oh, I don't have a... Oh, I was going to pick up my microphone. I don't need to pick it up. I've got... We've got new microphones. Let's let's see if you're cheering in 20 minutes' time when everything goes wrong. We have to start again. Uh, Welcome. uh, Thanks so much for coming along. This is the first podcast in uh, Series 13, unlucky for some, of Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. But I was hanging out with um, some of the fans of Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle. They're so... man. Those guys, they're so with it. They really know what good comedy is about, those guys. They know, what, they know about comedy. As long as it's explained to them what the joke is, they're, they're fine. If you don't explain it, they can't understand why it's clever. But if you tell them it's clever, it's... then they go, oh, I'm clever for liking this, I guess. They call it Rehearsal of Us. I don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, so, uh, lots of new things. Look, we've got new chairs. If you, uh, if you gave money to the Kickstarter, that's where... That's where the cash has gone. 
The other ones were falling apart, to be honest. And uh, I think Chris Evans, not that one, said he saw them using... We, we ordered these, and then they were on Newsnight or something like that as well. So, I mean, I don't think it's the same ones. They're not like showbiz chairs that go around <laughs> working out. But they're nice, aren't they? They're all right. They've got little buttons on them, different colours. You want me to see that when we're sitting down? Uh, and uh, I've got a new, uh, a new question book. Ooh. It's uh, Star Wars-themed. That's what... Yeah, it's a Wookiee. It's a Wookiee. It's a Wookiee. That's probably what a Wookiee wears, isn't it? It's a sash, Wookiee sash. And it's got, like, a bookmark on it as well. I'm 50 years old. Uh, what's, what's, it's a stormtrooper on there. So someone will get this. We, we gave away the last one to the winner of the, the end-of-year monthly badger dripster competition. So if you want to... We give away loads of stuff. You get uh, loads of extras uh, and help pay for the show. If you go to those things, you know the way. You know the drill by now. So the stuff I've been up to uh, since we stopped doing this, it feels like only yesterday, but yeah, we moved into our house, which ha- has been trying to kill us. There's lots of things that have happened. We've had two incidents with carbon monoxide in the house. Get a carbon monoxide alarm. I, I had one by chance, and it saved our lives twice. Uh, it's bad, you know, to be poisoned by carbon monoxide once is unfortunate. So good, it's a little, it's a good little Oscar Wilde thing that will come back later. So, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, the electricity or something, the oven exploded the other day, and all the electricity went off on Christmas Eve uh, or Christmas Day. Somewhere between those two, someone crashed into the wall outside our house and knocked it down and then drove off again. That was, it could have been Father Christmas, though, so that is... Uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure our house is a, it's from the 18th, uh, yeah, 18th century. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's haunted by the ghost of a dead baby. Because uh, I, I keep on hearing a baby crying. Like, I, we have a baby. And I'm never in the same room as the baby when the baby is crying. But when I go into the room, the baby isn't crying. So I think a dead baby is haunting us, and I think the dead baby is trying to kill us all. I think it'd be more efficient at murder, given it's dead already and knows how to do it. Uh, anyway, so it's all, it's all happening there. Get a carbon monoxide alarm. If you smell carbon monoxide, you're amazing, because it's odourless. Uh, and uh, <laughs> ring 0800 111 I think they were amazing. Those guys are the only good uh, people I've met this year. In, in, in terms of so everything else has gone wrong, but they've been they've they've been nice, uh, and uh, yeah, well, there's uh, people have noticed this. This is going to be fairly topical. This one's I can mention the news. Uh, Piers Morgan and Donald Trump. That picture's been going around. Two thirds of the the human uh, human centipede. So it's uh, <laughs> you can only go at one end though. That's the problem. Which end would you go if you were going to be in that? And who would you put there? No one. No one deserves that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, Brexit... I just sort of realise that all the papers have been going, like, this is a mandate from 17.1 million people. But it isn't, is it? Because it they were ignoring the 16.3 million people who, who voted against it. So it's a mandate from only the people that made the difference. It's about 650,000 people. If they'd voted the other way, it would have it gone the other way. And I think everyone would admit 1% of the people in this country are fucking idiots. Uh, <laughs> even the fucking idiots would think that because they don't know they are fucking idiots. That's the thing with being a fucking idiot. You don't know. And so it's a mandate from the fucking idiots. Like, I don't care if you like Brexit, that's fine. If you didn't, if you liked, uh, if you hated Brexit, that's fine. It's all the people who just kept changing their minds every day. And they're, they're the reason this is all going ahead. Uh, I said this on Twitter, got a similar response to that. So um, we're going to put more, fuck off, you lost, you loser, move on. I hate you, you leave a files, leave me alone. So um, they've got two cooler names. Leave a files, that's better. All right, we'll move on. Uh, so... My guest tonight uh, is probably best known 
for her non-speaking role in a public information film about heroin addiction. <laughs> Citation needed. <laughs> it's Kathy Burke, ladies and gentlemen, I'm hoping. <laughs> Sit down, thank you very much. You're crystalling my chair. That is the first bum that has been on my chair. It's the first celebrity bum that's been on that chair. Love it. It's very yeah. bright, isn't it? <laughs> it's very bright, Alec. I've got to get used to it. It'll be fine. We've got, we've got time. Uh, if you fancy having a, a Crest beer at any point, just let me know. Nah. Lovely, lovely Crest <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, we've got loads of free ones, it's nice. Uh, and that's all we're going to get, probably, I would have thought. Uh, anyway, um, what, what, this is on Wikipedia. Is it? That you were, as, as a child actor, you were in a non-speaking role in a public information film about heroin addiction. Is that true or not? Well, I wasn't a child actor. Okay. I was probably about 20. That's, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, yes, it was. Um, God, blimey. Yeah, it was just lots of black and white shots of us wandering around, yeah. just looking very depressed. And I mean, I, I just thought it was ridiculous for me, because I've always been a fatty, and I just thought... <laughs> <laughs> I look like I'd buy chips if I had money, not heroin. You know? <laughs> so, so I was a little bit sort of thrown that I, I got the job. But my other non-speaking role, uh, around about that age as well, which is never credited, people don't realise... Anyone that can remember, you know, people mine and Rich's age, you know, over 50 or whatever, there was a brilliant... It always wins, like, the awards. It's always in the top ten of the best advertisements ever. Right. And it was an advert for The Guardian, which was about look at things from this point of view. Oh, yeah. And you see a skinhead running down the road, and you think he's going to attack a geezer, but what he's actually doing is saving the man from falling scaffold. And I was witness in doorway. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very proud because it's the only advert I've ever done. Yeah. And it's award winning. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was great. And it was all down to that witness. It was. It was all well. Did you have to pull a face of oh, I don't like skinheads? No, it was a really quick like shot of me, like the guy running past, and then the skinhead running past. And, Sorry, it's um, my fault. Is that you? It's what me. You it's my fault. I've got to put that down there. I keep forgetting. Mine's in my pocket. Yes, right, that that's right? okay. It's, it's, it's my fault. I told him I wouldn't remember to take it out of my pocket, and I was right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all that matters. <laughs> sorry, I, sorry I ruined your anecdote with... Uh, but that's that's quite right. good. If you get boring, I'll just start fiddling with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. Or if I... <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, we're off. Whoa. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Anyway, Wikipedia, you can now link to this uh, podcast and you don't need to put citation needed anymore as long as you trust Cathy Burke uh, to not lie about that. She might, might be true. Uh, you, uh, your career is absolutely incredible and, you know, until I really sat down and looked at it all, it hadn't quite struck me to the extent that was the case. But you've sort of done... You've played the Mona Lisa twice, which yeah. I can't think many people have played the Mona Lisa once. you played Mona Lisa in Psycho Bitches and A Word in Your Era. A Word in Your Era, that's yeah. right. That was with... Um... Oh, what was his name? Fellow with a beard. Jeremy Beadle? No. We work our way through. Jesus? Rory. What's his name? Rory McGrath. Rory McGrath. Oh. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that was... Where was that? That was some long-forgotten piece of shit yeah. that we all did. And, um, yes, and then again in Psycho Bitches for lovely yeah. genius Jeremy Dyson. Yes. Um, yeah. Why? Do you think there's a reason you played the Mona Lisa twice? Or is it just a coincidence? A crate? I mean, it's not so really an, you know, it's a still picture, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, 
the one with Jeremy Dyson, I, I, I wrote that sketch, and basically she didn't say anything. Right. So poor Rebecca Front had to do all the chat, you know, and... Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just easy. I just wanted to do something where I didn't have to say any lines. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was the easy option. That's really. kind of most right. Most people who write their own thing make sure they get all the lines. Oh no, no. I never do that. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be out by four. You've played the Virgin Mary. You've played the, the non-Virgin Mary. You've played the Queen Mother. Apparently. Yes, I played the Queen Mother. Yeah. You were Lazar in Doctor Who. Though uncredited, I was not. Okay. I've had a few people on Twitter no, tweeting okay. me about that. Hang on, I'm going to cough. <coughs> I've had a few people on um, <coughs> Twitter tweeting me. I do look a little bit like this person oh, that was okay. a sort of extra in an episode of Doctor Who way back, but sadly it wasn't me. Oh. And I wasn't the little fat girl in Grange Hill either. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one who said Roland, I didn't think you were. Roland, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't her. <laughs> So all those things are amazing. You were in Educating Marmalade, which is a, a, an amazing series. Do you remember being Educating Marmalade, or were you not in that either? I do remember being Educating Marmalade. And you know what's really interesting about doing Educating Marmalade for me? The brilliant Roy Kinnear was on that. Oh, was do you remember he? Roy Kinnear? Yeah. So Roy Kinnear was... Uh, Rory Kinnear is a very famous actor now, very serious national theatre actor. But his dad, Roy Kinnear, was like just a comedy hero for so many people. Little round fatty, just gorgeous. (laughs) Always brilliant in everything he did. And he was in Educating Marmalade. And um, I was... It was about... It was sort of my first television job, I think. So I was about 18. Right. Anyway, we were in the canteen one day, and there was a fella who... Now, when you're 18, a 30-year-old is like an 80-year-old. And so this 30-year-old was being a little bit out of order... And talking to me and another of the other couple of girls, asking us if we were virgins, all the rest of it. And I'll never forget about Roy Kinnear, and especially now in these days of Me Too and all this business, Roy Kinnear came up to me very quietly and said, ignore that man. He's an arsehole. <laughs> Doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't get swept in to what he's saying. Yeah. Because, you know, he was quite a good-looking dude... And he was ch- sort of being... But yeah. he was just being a dirty old geezer, really. Yeah, <laughs> but lovely Roy Kinnear was very much looking after us. Yeah, oh, you know, nice, Which was very nice. Anyway, that was Educating Marmalade, yeah. yeah, which was great. And the guy that directed that... Oh, what's his fucking name? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> Colin, I can't remember. Colin Buckley. I, did it, I ended up doing a couple of jobs with him. I did another television thing that um, Donald Pleasance was in. And I did something else with him. And then he went to America. And I said, why are you going to America? You're the only person employing me. Don't go to America. And he was like, no, 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 I want to go to America. I want to do better things. You know, I want to get out of this climate and all that. And he's directed Breaking Bad. He's directed... uh, What was the last really big thing that we all got into? And he directed some of them. Uh, What was it? What did we get into? What was the thing? We all got in. We, we, we did The Wire, didn't we? <laughs> the we, Wire. We, we liked that. Then we, then we all watched Breaking Bad. Yeah. And we, we really liked that. Um, but, but we, you know, it's debatable. Are they as great as The Sopranos? Whatever. But what was it? What was the one recent? There was another one. Westworld. Westworld. Stranger Things. No, he didn't do Stranger Things, but Stranger Things was brilliant. I didn't see, <laughs> I didn't see Westworld. House of Cards. 
No, I didn't watch that. I, I've always been allergic to spacey. <laughs> Funny that. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it. Aye? No, I've not watched that. Aye? <laughs> what? Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. That could be it. Oh, see, I didn't watch that. Oh, okay. I've taped that. <laughs> you take that. But anyway, he was in. He got an award. He was pretty. Fargo! Oh. The one in the snow! The one in the snow! That was genius. And he got an Emmy for that. And he's about 70 odd now. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. And Andrew Davis wrote Educating Marmalade. Is that right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah I slagged him off a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, it was an amazing show. Charlotte Coleman was amazing. She was. She was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Sadly, she, she died much too young. She did. She, she did. was fantastic. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's... I mean, there's a lot I could talk to you about. Let's talk about your Twitter feed. For, what I quite... What I think... You're very successful, but everyone loves you, Cathy, and that is quite a trick Not everyone. Because right. <laughs> you see my Twitter feed, but I see my notifications. Okay. <laughs> I'm told, you know, once every couple of months. Twitter's really weird because Sunday, it's like, it's like Sunday drivers. Yeah. You get Sunday racists. <laughs> <laughs> they fucking all come out on a Sunday, those yeah. bastards. Oh, they love it. You fat cunt, you fucking dog. Look at you, you fucking black loving bitch. <laughs> And, I, and I, um, it's just great. It's nice to have a bit of attention. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever? Do they, they usually don't have their picture in their own avatars. Those no, guys, they're, they're, weirdly... they're probably well. There's a great <laughs> new Twitter account called Racist Pets. Oh, that brings joy to my heart. And it's just whoever this person is just finds the most horrible racist people that have their pets as their profile pictures. <laughs> So you've got these horrible, abusive things about Muslim, and it's a little poodle. <laughs> it's just fantastic. That's one of my new favourite Twitter accounts. Well, the, my favourite of your Twitter, and it's very worth following your, your Twitter account, but your, my, your favorite, my favourite of your recent tweets was to Boris Johnson. Oh, yeah, he's my favourite, yeah. When Boris, <laughs> Boris Johnson had been a defensive of Toby Young. Oh, he's mate, yeah. yeah. And you just tweeted back to Boris Johnson, he's a cunt and so are you. <laughs> Uh, he didn't respond. <laughs> but My DMs are always open. <laughs> but you should. You, would you consider going into politics? I think people would like you in, you in politics. That kind of honesty. No way, Jose. You know. No, I think we've got we've got some all right people doing their best. Yeah. I think, but um, no, absolutely not. I think most of them are just an entitled bunch of arseholes and I really wouldn't want to have to sit in the same canteen as them. <laughs> no, I, think, I, think you, I think you and Stephen Fry together could run the country. That's what I think that would... We'd cover all bases. He'd be the posh bit. Yeah. He'd, he'd be eloquent in the put-downs and I'd just go, what Stephen means is you're a <laughs> <laughs> Like Baldrick and Blackadder would yeah. be, you know. <laughs> A bit like Tony Blair and John Prescott, really, yes. isn't it? So uh, that, that worked all right for a while. Um, and there's the famous uh, Helena Bonham Carter thing as well that you... Oh, but that's very old now. Yeah. That was a long, long time ago, so... Yeah. Have, you, have, you, have you bumped into her along the way? We bumped into each other very soon after I expressed my feelings about her way back when in uh, Time Out, not realising that the two of us would be up for the same BAFTA. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, literally within three months. Right. You know, I had n- no clue. Anyway, it was fine. She was all right. We had a big chat, and um, you know, and I just said to her, "Look, you're in a very privileged position. Um, you do a lot of work, and you, if you're complaining about the sort of parts you're getting, employ somebody to write you better parts." Yeah. And um, she didn't, what she did was marry somebody. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's still good, you know. And I've actually got a lot of respect for her, actually. I, yeah. I sort of think, I think she's a fantastic actress. It's just way back then, this is before social media, you know, not everybody had a voice. And Helena back then, this is like 25 years ago, she had a voice. Yeah. So she was being interviewed a lot and she was sort of our representative, you know, actors of our age group. And it was sort of a bit. You're not. You're not speaking well. You know. You're. Yeah. You're. You're. You're getting things a bit arse over to it. And um, but she was lovely. She was gracious, and we had a lovely chat. And uh, I do remember she said to me at one point, you know, some of the papers are comparing us to uh, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, as long as we, we remember that I'm Bet, I'll be all right. You know? <laughs> But no, good, good, good honour. I've not got a bad word to say about her anymore, actually. But it, it was sort of ahead of its time, that discussion, in that I think now, like, there's a lot more posh people have come into acting, right? So it is now much harder for working class people to get anywhere in acting. Is that. Well, think I think, it, I, I do think it's harder just in terms of how much money it costs to yeah. go to drama school and places like that. You don't necessarily have to go to drama school, but it really helps. It really helps. But some people just can't afford it. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are aware that you even have to pay to audition. Right. And if you don't get into the drama school, it's not like a deposit. You don't get your money back, <laughs> you know. So, so it is quite tough. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to probably live in London, really, to have a realistic chance, maybe Manchester. I suppose. Well, Manchester's got a good... Pl- Manchester University's got a great drama yeah. department there. And, um, yes, I don't know, really. Um, I just think there's, there should be room for everybody. Sure. I've got lots of posh friends, and I adore them all as much as I adore my oiky friends. <laughs> and, um, and I just want everybody to have an equal playing field. You know, when I was starting out, I mean, I went to further education college and did drama, and I got a grant. You know, I got paid to, to be further educated, and it was just fantastic. Yeah. You know, I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Spent all the money. Right? <laughs> Going to gigs, so I got money for gigs, you know. I was just sort of obsessed with music then, so... Yeah. Um, but, no, I was very lucky. It's very different now. Yeah. And so how did you get started? Was it, was it someone at school kind of encouraged you? Yeah, it? it was a teacher at school. Because there's a very famous place called the Anna Share Theatre, which was like a workshop place that you go to after school. People think, some people think it's like an Italian Conte place, but it wasn't at all. You paid 50p for a lesson, and, and it's a waiting list system, so you didn't even have to audition. But it was very popular, so you had to wait for three years, really, to get in. And a teacher told me about the place when I was 13. He went, you live in Islington. This place is in Islington. And... Um, and I finally got in two weeks before my 16th birthday. And my life changed. It was like... I mean, you hear people say, I felt like I came home. But, but in a weird way, it sort of was. And, uh, you know, you're there for ages before she asks you to get up and do anything. So, because one of the first, the first rules is be a good audience. Yeah. 
So you have to sit there for at least three months <laughs> being a good audience. And if you get fed up and think, well, she's never using me, and you go, then you'll never know whether yeah. you, know, you had the skills or not. But I was very happy to be a good audience. I was very happy not to say anything because I was terrified. And, um, but I remember after the first lesson, I came home and I went straight to bed. And it was eight o'clock in the evening. And I slept all the way through the night. And I had terrible insomnia all my life. And I just think it was just sheer exhilaration. And fuck, <laughs> this, is, oh, this is what I want to do, yeah. man. You know what I mean? And it was just joyous, joyous yeah. place. That's fantastic. It's, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I find you're, it's fascinating to see um, the, the breadth of stuff you've done because people, you know, as actors get pigeonholed, but, oh, and you get pigeonholed as an actor, and lots of people don't like people saying, oh, I'm an actor, I'm going to try some writing, I'm going to try some directing. You've done all of that. But even as an actor, the, the range of stuff you've done is, is insane, really. Even if you've just done your comedy stuff... You've done very broad comedy, like maybe Gimme, Gimme, Gimme is quite, you know, it's caricature stuff, but you've done very sophisticated... Yeah, I thought that was a bit more Ken Loach. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but you can work... And well, the fact you can do Gimme, Gimme, Gimme and Nil by Mouth and be, you know, and, and both are e- equally loved and equally uh, believable, mm. you know, that's, that's... Most actors don't get that opportunity. No. Once they've done something very successful, because you did stuff that was very successful, and then you were still able to go to this next thing that was nothing like the last thing you did. Yeah. I, I, I mean, a lot of it is down to luck. It is down to luck. It's sort of who you meet, who you know, who sees your work. You know, I ended up in the Ari Enfield show because Paul Whitehouse had seen me do a couple of fringe theatre plays. Um, and um, it was Paul that said to Ari Enfield, we should, you know, you should meet this, this girl, we should get this girl in. And... Um, and it's because Paul's a very sophisticated person who goes to the theatre. Um, so, you know, so that was lucky. My very first job was a film called Scrubbers. And, um, and it said a girl's bald stool, you know. And, um, but that director was a Swedish woman called Mai Zetling, who used to be an actress herself in the 50s, then became a documentary filmmaker, and then wanted to do a drama film. And... I was just really lucky. She took me under her wing. She really liked me. She saw some sort of potential. And she just said, you have got to really work hard. She said, I'm telling you now. I was 17, and she was really on my case. And she went, you've got to write, you've got to direct. Otherwise, you'll be... What did she used to call me? Because she was Swedish. You'll be little dolly drop in the corner, just being a clown. And I was like 17. I was like, well, I want to be Dolly dropping. <laughs> I'll do it. Oh, I want to be that, you know. But she really drummed it into me. She said, you've got to do other things. Otherwise, it will be stagnant, you know. Yeah. And you've got to just, you know, go for it. And it went in my ear and it stayed in there. And I just always had her in my head. Mm. And... Um, and also when I was getting a bit, oh, you know, then into my 20s and I was becoming a jobbing actress, um, it was a bit like, oh, this is driving me mad, sitting around waiting for work. I didn't like it. I've always been a grafter. I've earned my own money from about the age of 14, doing Saturday jobs, evening jobs, everything. I, I, I like my own, sh- you know, shrapnel in my pocket. And, um, and I, I just hated the sitting around waiting for stuff. So, so I just got involved then. I got involved in the Old Red Lion Theatre and 
Uh, Robert Pugh is quite a well-known Welsh actor, and he was writing and directing Fringe stuff. Philip Davis, that actor, he was writing and directing. And it was Philip Davis that said to me, because I went up, to, I went to see a play. The first play I went to see off my own back at the Old Red Lion was written and directed by Phil Davis. And, um, and I said, can I talk to you afterwards? And he went, yeah. And I said, I didn't realise that you could write and direct and act. And he said, and he looked at me and he went to me, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and it was just fantastic advice. So it never crossed my mind that I shouldn't be doing it. Because Phil Davis said I should. Robert Pugh <laughs> said I should. Yeah. Mike Zettlin said I should. All these people were telling me, this is what you should do. Yeah. So I did. So you wrote and directed your first play when you were 22-ish or something like that? No, no, I was older than that. I was... Well, I wrote the play when I was 22. Right. um, And then I finally sort of had the courage to put it on and direct it when I was about 25, 26, something like that. Still very young to... I suppose. You know, it's a bit precocious, I suppose, but not really, you know. um, and And I wasn't in it. I didn't write apart for myself... Because I wanted people to see that I understood other characters rather than little fat girls from fucking Islam, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know how to develop other characters, I know. And it really worked, because Mike Lee came and saw the play. Right. And Mike Lee, he's a, he's a very honest person, Mike Lee, and he said, you know, I wasn't interested in you. You know, loads of people telling me, oh, you'd like her, that's happy bird, but I weren't interested. And he said, but then, but then I saw you play. <laughs> and I went, yeah, yeah, so I'm not just going to go, fuck off, you bastard, you know, improvising. And, you know, so I ended up doing a play with him, yeah. which was great. Um, so, yeah, just right. luck and cheek. You know, I've got chutzpah, man. I've got, you know, get yeah, up and go. And... No, but all those different things. Well, I mean, what I love about the stuff with you and Harry is mm. you're actually quite different styles of performers, but it really gels and works together. Harry sort of has that comedic instinct to play to the camera almost, you know. Even when he's doing a sketch, he's still got a little twinkle in his eye. Yeah, and yeah. you can still see him. So in Kevin and Perry, he's still a little bit Harry Enfield, but mm. you're, you inhabit that character. Yes, uh, I Perry. was Perry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an extraordinary, strong... I mean, without Perry, you know, just the, if it was just the Kevin character, it'd be a funny sketch. Right. But Perry gives it its kind of heart, don't you? Yeah, the heart, I yeah. Mean, what I love yeah. about it, what I think is really reminds me of all the kids at school, is just you're quite a hard, naughty kid, but then when, when you're with that, Kevin's mum... Yes. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing that makes that character so lovely, I think. Just but that was lovely. down to Harry and Paul and yeah. their great writing, you know? Sure. They were just great. I'd, I'd chuck in a few ideas. Um, like, we've got a, quite a famous sketch that people still use on Twitter as a little gif, is when Perry comes back from Manchester and, <laughs> you know, and thinks he's Liam Gallagher. But... <laughs> But that came from me telling Paul about... I used to go to Manchester when I was a kid. Yeah. I used to go to Manchester and Wigan. I'd always come back to Alton like that and have gravy. <laughs> you got gravy on the chips. And, um, and uh, Paul was like, that's brilliant. He said, we should have Perry going at Manchester. I mean, straight away, yeah. you know. Perry should come back from Manchester and he fixes Liam Gallagher. <laughs> so, it's lovely. A lot of it always comes from truth, you know. Yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. And so that went on to obviously the, the, the big movie of Kevin and Perry. Yeah, which was a big hit, actually, yeah. wasn't it, looking yeah. back? It really was a big hit. And, and not, many, again, not many sketch characters would, could you take and put in a... In no, a but it so worked for yeah. Ibiza and, 
all that, and, jeez, I mean, it was a nightmare to film, really. Because everyone, all the extras are all off their fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> they're either, they were off their heads on ecstasy, or they were coming down from ecstasy. <laughs> you know, there was, like, bodies on the floor. You're sort of doing close-ups, and, and it is, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, and pretending to be, you know, 2 o'clock in the middle of the night, and... Just bodies everywhere. <laughs> Just, but it, it was really good fun. But it was it was manic. <laughs> you got no, Is there going to be a sequel to the film? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I we, mean, the crankies are still going, oh, aren't they? Well, you know. <laughs> They're unique. <laughs> They're unique. They've got their own thing going on, you know. Um, but. <laughs> no, no. I couldn't do Little Perry anymore. What a shame. But I did love him. He was one of my favourite characters to do, yeah. ever, really. Excuse me, I loved him. Yeah. I used to love when we'd film at the BBC and you'd be hanging around because the boys would be filming all the sketches and I'd do, you know, the slobs or Perry and, and sometimes the wobbly, randy old ladies, which I really loved doing as well. But most of the time, I was just sort of sitting around in White City, so it was great just wandering around as Perry. And I'd knock on dressing room doors. Could I come in? <laughs> and the best one was uh, the Manic Street Preachers, because they were doing Top of the Pots. Oh, Manic Street Preachers. <laughs> <laughs> Can I come in, please? <laughs> I don't give blowjobs. <laughs> so that was great, you know, to meet all these people. Uh. many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. With Neil by Mouth, you won um, the Palm d'Or as Best Actress in Cannes. Yes. And you... <laughs> but you weren't going to go... You didn't think... No, you... clap, it's not America. 
<laughs> but you weren't going to go to the ceremony. No, I wasn't going to go because I was working. <laughs> I was working. I was filming um, Tom Jones for the BBC. And, um, yeah, so I, I was home. I had the Sunday off. And I had the Monday off, so I was just home. I feel it was about, I feel I skinned up at nine. <laughs> just like, this is all right, you know, got nothing to do for a couple of days. And, um, and then I got a phone call from Gary Oldman saying, you've got to come out here. <laughs> Why? And he said, because they're, they're telling me, because you're not here, they're telling me you've got best actress, you've got to get out here. And I was like, well, I can't. I, I've not got a passport. I'm not. I'm not ready to. You know, I'm at home. I've just skinned up. I'm just, you know. So it was all a bit shit scrambled bollocks, and uh, and you couldn't do it nowadays, unfortunately. But I got to France without a passport on a private really? jet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. But I didn't like flying, so I was sort of shitting a brick a bit. And then uh, when we got, we got somewhere, and I thought, oh, great, we're here. And then this bird came up to me and said, OK, come on, we got helicopter now, helicopter. I went, I'm not getting in a fucking helicopter. <laughs> but no, you know, you've got to get in helicopter. I was literally shoved in by the arse into this helicopter, you know. But it was absolutely amazing. It yeah. was incredible. And um, my, an old pal of mine, David Fulis, the actor David Fulis, and... He'd only rang me that morning because he'd seen Neil by Mouth the night before and he went, oh, I've just seen Neil by Mouth, bloody hell. Boy, makes naked look like the magic fucking roundabout. <laughs> and, um, and, then, and he's backstage and the next thing, he sees me getting out of the car and walking up the, what's it, up the steps. <laughs> what's she doing here? What's she doing here? And, and uh, he was presenting an award and, and he wanted to change because he then realised why I was there. Yeah. And, but, um, but it was great to sort of share that night with him and, and Gary, of course. And, uh, yeah, big old gang. But I was back home the next day and then, and then back up in Derby or somewhere on the Tuesday film. <laughs> so, yeah, it was all right. It was mad, but it was a great, yeah. great thing to happen, yeah. <laughs> going, not, not, was it, were you not tempted to go to Cannes when, you, when the film was being Well, no, because I, I was working. Yeah, but you could say, you had the Sunday off, you could have gone for a day. No, 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 yeah. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, if I've got a day off, I, I want a day off, you know. <laughs> um, I've never been one for all that anyway. I don't, I don't go to premieres, I don't, I've never been to any of my... Well, I went to the Kevin and Perry premiere, I did that, um, begrudgingly. And... Um, <laughs> I, I don't... I get really embarrassed. I, I, I get really shy. I don't like all the photographs. I don't... I just don't like it. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. So I just try and avoid things that make me feel uncomfortable. Sure. So, well, this has been very nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk, well, let, we'll talk about the, 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 mm -hmm. your current directing job, which is, sounds like a, a lovely job with working with... Oh, yeah, with, uh... got to do a bit of promoting. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is going out this week, so, you know, people can still get tickets. Oh, this. yeah. So, so Lady Windermere's Fan by Oscar Wilde, so that's on at the Vaudeville up the road, and it's on until April the 7th. And you can get deals. West End tickets <laughs> are quite expensive, but you can get deals. And I'm delighted to say it's going down a storm, yeah. and people are loving it. We've got Jennifer Saunders in it, which was like a miracle, because um, she's not done a play for 25 years. So it was great to get her. And um, Samantha Spiro, Kevin Bishop. I've got a 
great new young actress called Grace Maloney, who's, like, amazing. And it's only her second job. And she's Lady Windermere. So she's carrying the old show. Right. And uh, a lovely guy called Joshua James. Joe Marcel, who I only know Joe Marcel from The Globe and seeing him play King Lear. But a lot of the younger actors were so excited because apparently he was Geoffrey in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> 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 Which I know everyone's clapping now. As well. <laughs> Me, not a clue, not a clue. <laughs> Just uh, and what a delightful man. So he does, he's our eldest company member, right? And our youngest company member is uh, a chick called Amy Metcalf, who's only twenty-one. I did a sort of autobiographical thing for Sky a few years ago called Walking and Talking. Yeah, and Amy played me, right? And uh, she was just great and a darling, darling little girl to work with. So when I got Lady Windermere's fan, the first thing I said to my producer, Dominic, was, right, I want Amy Metcalf to play Lady Agatha. And he was like, OK, don't you worry about the lead roles before we worry about the smaller parts. <laughs> and I went, I don't care who else is in it. I want Amy Metcalf in it, because she's not done a theatre job yet. And she's just a darling, and everyone adores her, and... It's all one of those rare things. It's, it's a really good company. And yeah. they all... Everyone says, oh, everyone loves each other. After time, that is crap. <laughs> you know, people can't fucking stand each other a lot of the time. And, um, but on this, I'm so proud because they really adore each other and look out for each other. And, you know, it's, it's really pleasing to sort of set up a working environment. Art doesn't have to be torture doesn't all have to be about being bastards to each other. You can create lovely stuff with a beautiful atmosphere sure. and really nice long lunch breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and was it a play that you wanted to direct or did someone come saying, oh, we, we want you to direct this play? No, Dominic John Gould came to me and asked me, and to be perfectly honest, there was a different director lined up, but he left for some reason. Right. And so basically Dominic was like, fuck, what am I going to do? <laughs> and... Um, I just I was getting ready to direct a play written by Sam Bain yeah. who wrote Peep Show and I did that at the Park Theatre and uh, with three great actors including Adam Deacon who hadn't done a job since he'd been sectioned two and a half years ago <laughs> so it was really lovely to help him yeah. come back you know right. and he's a darling person and a brilliant actor so Dominic just thought Cav's going to be tied up doing the Park play but he rang me up just in case and I said, well, yes, if I can cast Lady Windermere before I go into rehearsals for the park, then it's doable. Right. So we made it happen, and thank God, because I've loved every single moment of it. Yeah. How much do you go to see it once you, when you're directing something? Do you, do you just leave it to... Leave yeah, it? you're meant to just sort of leave it, you know, pop back and stuff like that. I had a great assistant called Matt Harrison, great guy from Wigan. Oh, I'll, I'll look after your calf, you know what I mean? He was brilliant. <laughs> and, um, um, not Wigan... Whitby. <laughs> you know, I've got Wigan on the brain, me. Whitby. And, um, but Matt will go back or I'll go back. So I went to the first Saturday matinee after press night. And then I'll probably go again maybe next week or the week after. It's sort of good to have a break from it. Yeah. And then you can sort of see if things are going awry. Whereas when you're watching it constantly, constantly, it's very difficult to sort of... You know, you can't really see what's going on a lot of the time. Um, but it is, it is good to have a break. But I, 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 I want to go back because I like them all. And I'm going to pop in and see them all tomorrow because right. I'm going to see a, another play tomorrow night. So 
I'll go in and say hello to them all, you know. And what was what was behind your decision? Because you sort of you haven't left acting behind entirely, but you've you've obviously you were getting to this point where you were in lots of movies and winning awards, and then you decided to go over more into directing. Yeah, things. well, I'd always directed. Yeah. I'd always like you know, as we said earlier. So I've been directing, assistant directing since my twenties, you know, and. Um, and what was happening, I got... It was lovely. I suddenly got very successful and suddenly I was a movie actress. It was like, all right. And um, <laughs> suddenly you're on the list, you know, and you get seen for movies. You even get seen for movies that you're not right for. But you're the name and you might help make the movie make money. Do you know what I mean? So it's all a little bit twisted and a bit weird. And I'd been in total control of my career up until that point. Right. And suddenly, I sort of wasn't in control anymore. I had to, if I, if, I audition, if I sort of screen tested or auditioned, and I got the part, I had to accept it. It was, it was sort of really weird. And, uh, and I just didn't like it. And I was getting more and more miserable. I was getting really depressed. And I thought, this is weird, because I should be happier and happier. But I wasn't, because I was losing control. Yeah. And I am a bit of a control freak. And um, uh, so, anyway, and, and what was happening was the acting jobs were great and they were non-stop, but suddenly I, there was no room for me to direct theatre, whereas I'd always sort of directed a play, if not once a year, once every two years. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there was... I just had all these fucking films lined up and I couldn't direct <laughs> anything. And um, so, yeah, so I, so I just said to my agent... After this movie that I've got lined up, I'll take a break for two years and I won't act and I'll just direct. And I found, to my astonishment, I was a lot happier in myself and in work, just directing. And uh, so, yeah, I pop back every now and again if it's something that really interests me or the money's good. (laughs) Um, And... um, yeah, so I did Tinker Tailor Soul Spy. Yeah, yeah. I did, what else did I do? I did the Mona Lisa for, it's usually people I really like. I did a summit for Phoebe Waller Bridge, not Fleabag. She did another thing called Crashing. Oh, yeah, I've just started watching that. So I did a little bit in that for her, paying a very posh aunt. And um, that's the thing, I'm only accepting posh roles now. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great. But it's good, you won't be like pigeonholed into what, I mean, I guess maybe it goes back to that conversation you're having about. Um, earlier about being more than, you know, what, what you're being pigeonholed as being. But, you know, you're... you're mm. Like, a lot of people, I think, would think Lady Windermere's fan wouldn't... They wouldn't picture you directing it, and apparently some reviewers have, have been a bit snooty about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one guy was brilliant, because I don't read reviews, good, bad, or indifferent, but a friend very nicely texted me and said, it's an appalling review. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I had to read it, and it was sort of great, actually. I, I didn't mind it at all, and I broke my own rule of never reading reviews. And I sort of... I, I really liked it. Because he hated everything about it, <laughs> everything, and was telling, saying, this is wrong, she's got this wrong, she's got that wrong, and I just thought, well, I'm doing something right then, <laughs> because, you know, this is the way I have read this play, that's what a director is, it's your interpretation of a piece, yeah. so this is my interpretation. And the one thing that went on when we were in that rehearsal room was that we all fell in love with Oscar Wilde, myself included. And I just thought, what a great fucking human being. What a darling man. He loved women. 
He loved women. He hated injustice. And some people, and all I've done, I've just abridged it. Because it is commercial theatre. I didn't want people sitting there three and a half fucking hours getting bored. <laughs> so I've just cut some repetitiveness. And I've added tiny little things just to help bridge the cuts. And some people think I've added in lines that are Oscar Wilde's lines. Because they resonate so much, especially with now. Yeah. And what it says about women. And what it says about men. And in the first act, it's all about all men are bad. All men are brutes. You know, you will never, never find a good man. You should expect your husband to have affairs. That's what they do. You know, so it's quite extraordinary. I've been a good girl, though, because I don't believe all men are bad. <laughs> so, our oh, Lord Windermere, I very much wanted that to be him and Lady Windermere, a young loves, and they are in love with each other, and they do love each other, and he is a good person, you know? And it's really lovely, because yeah. it comes across like that. And, um, yeah, we just think he's brilliant. Yeah. And what a heart, and, you know... But it's interesting with reviewers like that. If a reviewer tells you how a play is supposed to go, that reviewer, or, a, or a, anything's meant to go, you get these with, with comedy as well, it's like, you've got to go and, you know, you want to do that job, but you can't do that job. It's not... If, if someone's saying this is how the play should be... Well, go and be a director. You clearly want to be yeah, a director, but yeah. you can't be a director. Because I mean, listen, he's entitled to his opinion, though. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, you know? I've seen things that I've not liked. I'm not like the way they've been done, you know? Um, but it's not my job. I'm not a critic, no. you know? Um, so, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think critics are sort of necessary because it's all publicity at the end of the day. Yeah. And what you what you want to do is sell tickets. Yeah. And there's so, been lots of good reviews as well. There's been some, that you won't know about. That you I won't know about. I've just, uh, I've just heard that there are, there's enough good things being said that we can put it up <laughs> outside the theatre. And people are coming. And I, I read today that you're, uh, you're doing that thing that happens with plays now where it's filmed and put... Is it going to be live in a cinema one day? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So anyone that's been tweeting me, sort of moaning, I can't get to... Why isn't this touring? Why isn't... It's been so good to be able to say you can see it in the cinemas. I think it's March 20th. Okay. And the website is, it's called Classic Spring, is the, comp- you know, the company name that are doing this, because there's a whole season of Oscar Wilde plays at the Vaudeville, not just mine, and um, ours, I should say. And, um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, it will be uh, shown on March 20th, cinemas all around the country. Yeah, Which great. is great. Fantastic. You also directed... Everyone's thinking, yeah, shut up about that now. No, no. <laughs> Tell us about Wayne now. No, we're going to talk, talk about you directing... Uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know you directed this Horn, Horn and Cordon's double act series. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get me coat. <laughs> yeah. No, that was all right, actually. It was a very strange time. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I yeah. thought it might be. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was very odd. <laughs> double um, acts are weird, though, right? And they were sort of slight. They were sort of slightly thrown together as a double act because they were they were both in um, the uh, sitcom with about Kevin them. and Stace. Kevin and no, Perry. Not Kevin and Stace. <laughs> <laughs> what was it called? Darren and Stacey. Darren and Stacey. Which was wonderful. That was brilliant. Yeah, it, was. it was brilliant. Yeah. It was wonderful. But it was just a little bit overkill on the boys. I think yeah, yeah. that was all. You know, they were sort of riding the crest of a wave. They were very high on everything. And, um, <laughs> you know, 
So I got asked to direct their sketch show. <laughs> yeah. Now, from my point of view, I'd been laid up for 18 months because I'd caught a hospital bug when I'd gone into the hospital for an operation. So I caught a bug called C. difficile and it laid me out and it nearly killed me four times. I would be very much boring the arse off Adam Kay talking about it. <laughs> what is worse, James Corden <laughs> or that disease? <laughs> Well, the thing about James... <laughs> he is a very talented actor. There is no doubt about it. He's a very talented actor. But it was silly for me to do the job. I'd, I'd always said I was never going to direct television. And why all of a sudden I said I'd direct a sketch show? And it was because I'd sort of fallen in love with the boys in, in Gavin and Stacey. And I just thought, well, why not? These are great guys. This would be great. You know, they're brilliant. James is a brilliant writer. This will be great. But we all know sketch shows are notoriously difficult. And, um, and just the material just wasn't good. It just wasn't good enough. And, um, but I have to say, you know, I, it was good for me because on a personal level, never mind the poor people that sit home and watch it. <laughs> on a personal level, it sort of got me well again. You know, I was really, really sick. Um, and I still had a fucking colostomy bag at the time. And I just... It was driving me insane, lying at home, doing nothing. I was going mad. So I was like, yes. Because what had happened was, before I got sick, I was just about to direct a play at the Almeida Theatre in Islington. I'd cast it, got all the design team, and it was uh, the Saturday before I was meant to rehearse on the Monday, start rehearsals, that this pain just completely overwhelmed me. Mm. And I had to go into hospital. And um, so I had to drop out of the play. And a different director had to stand in for me. And it was like then I became a little bit, mm, we can't touch her because we can't get the insurance. And I have to say I felt a little bit ignored and blanked by theatre for a long, long time. And it really fucked me off. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, Horn and Corder basically... They were the only people that approached me to work with them right. after I was sick. Yeah. So I do thank them for that, you yeah. know. Um, but the best thing for me that came out of that was the producer on it. It was a guy called Ben Cavey. And he did Psycho Bitches and done loads of great stuff. And he has become a great friend of mine. He also exec produced My Walking and Talking, along with my other darling friend, Pippa Brown who was like an, a production assistant on Horn and Corden. So the great thing for me, and I'm still really good pals with Matt Horn, I have to say. I mm. think he's a thoroughly nice fucking guy. And, um, but Pippa and Ben, I couldn't imagine my life without those dear pals. So, yes, yeah, sorry you had to <laughs> suffer. <No. laughs> but I came out of it really well. <laughs> but, it's, but, you know, everything's... A, you're taking a chance with anything, right? You never know how anything's going to go. And the, it, it, what's interesting, I think, is about those, those bridging... Jobs that are a bridge you know, mm. sometimes. That they, you know, not everything's going to work. No. And it's, you know, it's sort of incredible. I mean, more... And you do have to take a risk. But yeah. I do think those guys took... They, took, they were, like, battered for it. I mean, I wasn't on Twitter then. I wasn't... I, I didn't... I weren't interested in social media. So, of course, I didn't really know what was going on on a regular basis for them, which was, like, the hate was sort of... You know, it was very over the top. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but, um, 
what, what, what can you do? You know, can't like everybody. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're, in a way, like you've taken a lot of risks in everything you've done and a lot mm. of those things, you know, someone like, I think Gimme, 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 for example, was like a... Like a yeah, it was a risk. Well, it was a massive... Ch- <laughs> you know, it's like it was a very broad thing and it wasn't, yeah. you know, immediately taken to people, didn't take it to heart immediately. Oh, no, it, but, people hated yeah. it. Take it to heart. They hate it. <laughs> but it's not... They wanted to run us out of town. <laughs> Especially me and James Dreyfus. People were, were, were starting to love me because of Harry Enfield and they were starting to love James because of the thin blue line. <laughs> Put us both together. They hated us. <laughs> but, but we stuck with it. Myself, James and Jonathan Harvey, the writer. Yeah. Um, because we wanted to be broad with it. It yeah. was myself and James. Don't want to be safe. I wanted to out-dog Wayne Etter. Yeah. That, and I said that about myself and about the characters I play. And I, I, that's the sort of person I wanted to play because yeah. I thought it would be really fucking funny. <laughs> and it was. Once people eventually got it, it was really funny. And um, it's so weird now. I get tweets from really young people going, my God, they would never have allowed this now. And I sort of think, was it really that outrageous? <laughs> I mean, I, I never watched it. I don't watch my own stuff, so I can't remember half of it. Um, it's like, was it really that full-on? But I suppose it was, because we, we, we verbally abused each other in it all the time. Yeah. You know, so things that James's character said to me, you'd never get away with now, and, and vice versa. You know, I called him all the derogatory names for homosexual that you can think of, you know, and it just wouldn't be allowed now. But, God, I loved it. I loved it so much. I just <laughs> loved it. Loved it. I guess it came at sort of a rough at the same time when everything was getting very realistic and, you know, and... and... Yeah, well, that was the thing. I mean, we were like, you know... It was a bit like we were the Mrs Brown boys of then, <laughs> right. you know, in comparison to everything else. Everything... Yeah. It was all when comedy was getting a bit up its own fucking ass. to be quite honest. Yeah. And it was like everyone was congratulating themselves... We're great. Oh, aren't we great? Aren't we intelligent? Oh, it's a new way of doing comedy. And I'm just sat there going, I just want to make people laugh that work in a pub every night. Yeah. I don't give a shit about you doing your, is it this, you know, this is the way to do comedy. <laughs> Nobody laughing. That's what we'll do, you know? <laughs> and I think there's a place for everything. There is. Yeah. And I sort of felt, well, there's a place for Gimme, 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 and now for, there's a place for Mrs. Brown's Boys. It's, that show is hugely successful mm-hmm. for a reason. Because people fucking tuned in and watch it, yeah. you know, and uh, I, I, I just don't like snobbery in any form. No, well, you know? I think you know. I think that's. I mean, for me as well, the older I get, the more I just, um, you know, it's impressive that any, anyone gets anything on TV. That's impressive yes, to me because it's God. so difficult to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's you know, you've got to kind of respect the craft in in nearly everything. Not quite everything, but nearly, yeah. every, <laughs> nearly everything. And, you know, yeah, if, if something's popular, if something's making people laugh, that is the job. Yeah. I think and with actually, comedy, it's got to make well, people Well, James laugh. and I sort of decided not to do Gimme Gimme anymore because they sort of started... They wanted to soften it. We wanted to get more outrageous. We wanted to break the fourth more wall. Uh, wall more. Uh, more wall. Um, but, yeah, you know, what he does in Father... Uh, Mrs Brown. Father Brown, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> Mrs Brown, boys. Um... You know, and Miranda did it, looking down the lens. We wanted to do that 15 fucking years ago. And they were all too frightened of it. So it was really frustrating for me and James. And I'll never forget the day we were sat there and we were rehearsing on the set. And uh, my character was going around dusting, 
So we're doing a camera rehearsal, you know, no audiences there. Dusting, dusting, dusting. So I pulled down the boom mic, <laughs> gave that a dust, threw that up. So that was fun, you know, all the crew laughed, James laughed. James said she should do that in the, in the show yeah. because we were slightly breaking the fourth wall here in there. Oh, no, 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 that's too much, too much. And James just went to me, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And I went, neither do I. And that was it. And that, right. was, that was the last series. Wow. Yeah, we did Millennium. Yeah. The, yeah, I think that was the special. I can't remember what order it all went in. <laughs> but, yeah, we, you know, it was just a bit, it was just getting a bit frustrating. Yeah. So. I think it's, well, it's good to end things on your own terms as well. They should have let you do that boom, didn't they? They should have. Should. We'd be still doing still it doing now. It now. <laughs> Every fucking week. <laughs> I, I see, hated it. I hated it. The more it went on, though, the more people would have really. If it had gone on every week for fifteen years, <laughs> imagine how much how funny it would have been. By the end, even if you hated it, by the end, if you're yeah. forced to watch, everyone has to watch. You it. have to watch. It <laughs> and by the end of it, everyone would love it. I can guarantee you that. Oh. Uh, and I, all I can remember about the film Elizabeth is you in the film. I can't. Remember, I love that film, but you were incredible in that as Mary, Mary the First. Right? Yes. Is that what I did? Yes. yes. <laughs> it's confu- I, I did history and I always get confused between Mary the First and Mary the Queen of Scots. Yeah. No, no, no. She was you were ca- the, I was a Catholic. You were the, yeah, you were, I was yeah. a Catholic. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Yeah. That wasn't really that much fun. I can't even remember who played Elizabeth in it now. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> you know. It's Kate Blanchett. Yeah, well, she's, yeah. all, she's all right. She's all right. She's not done too I wouldn't bad. have her on this, Cathy. No. <laughs> she, came, she came knocking down the door. You're listening, Kate Blanchett. She was Sling great. Your hook. She, she was so young yeah, yeah. when she did that film, mate. I tell you, she was so young. Incredible. Yeah. But I've never seen it. I don't watch films I'm in, so... <laughs> But I know she was incredible, just sort of watching her on the monitor and stuff, you yeah. know. Um, but apparently it was a great film, so that's good. It was, it was great. It was very good. Um, I'll ask you a couple of emergency... This, I have emergency questions, but, you, you know... Oh, it yeah. Seems, it, seems friend, shame to, it seems a Kitty shame... Kitty warned me about this. It seems a shame to uh, ask you emergency questions, but... Because it's been good, but... Oh, what, it. are these bad, then? Yeah, they're bad. <laughs> uh, this is a bad one. This is question 251, if you're following at home. I've never asked anyone this question. You've got booklets there. Have I had uh, my back to people? <laughs> you have. It's people over Very there. I'm rude. so sorry. <laughs> Fucking Very hell. Rude. Sorry. It's a bad question. This, this I just is... can't see anything. You don't have to answer this. Would you rather have a clitoris in the crook between your thumb and finger or, or have a bionic nose? It's a rubbish question. <laughs> I was halfway through. Rubbish. <laughs> I'll yeah. have a clip. Yeah, it was obvious. <laughs> I'd rather. What's the bionic nose going to do? <laughs> Smell things a long way away. That's, <laughs> that's a bad thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, which is the sexiest TV puppet? Animal. Yeah, animal's <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, no, I won't ask you that one. Have, have some respect. Have some respect, Richard Herring. Well, you just asked me if I wanted to... A... I know. That's how bad it was. Right, OK. Question 368. Don't think I've asked anyone this one before. I don't remember writing it. <laughs> Would you rather be an orchestra that has been assimilated by the Borg and endlessly plays only orchestral versions of Mel and Kim songs? Kim. What, Mel and Kim? Do you remember Mel and Kim? 
respectable. Oh, they never wanna be. I think one of them yeah. uh, died. It's a very poor taste question. <laughs> or a cart horse that has pulled has to pull a cart full of the corpses of all your cart horse friends around all day long. <laughs> but is otherwise treated well and gets Sunday off. I mean, what the fuck is that? <laughs> That's, that question's based on the fact that orchestra and cart horse are anagrams of each other. Oh, really? That, that's, that's all that's about. <laughs> yeah, orchestra. Don't, don't, yeah, I think so. Don't delve into it. I'll, I'll go to the low numbers when I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask you, we'll ask you, this hasn't been asked for a long time. Would you rather have a hand made out of some ham or... A, or an armpit that dispenses sun cream. There you go. That's, I missed that's, it. I missed it. A hand made out of ham. It regenerates. If you eat it, it will grow back. Right. Or an armpit that dispenses sun cream as a, an individual use. You can't get enough to manufacture and sell. But you have as much sun cream for you and your friends as you need. Well, I don't eat meat. Right. I've not eaten meat since I was 18. Okay. So that's out the window. So I'll have the sun cream, okay. even though I don't sit in the sun. That's very good. Why did you all like that? <laughs> it's like an old friend. Is it? It's like if they'd done gimme, gimme, gimme every year for 15 years. <laughs> if I'd asked that question every single time, um, it, it would be a ter- Who would you rather act with, Harry Enfield or Gary Oldman? Who is the best person to attack? <laughs> it's Gary Oldman, obviously. Well... They're both, you know what I mean, hard work in their own fucking <laughs> He's a genius, Gary. Yeah. He's an absolute genius. And, and in a way, sort of, so is Harry. But I really... <laughs> I really loved... Work. Well, well, with Gary, I mainly worked with him, him directing me. You know, yeah. that was the longest period of time I worked with him. And he was... One of the best directors I've ever worked with. And Harry's just fucking brilliant, mate. He's yeah. just brilliant. He's just great. So, and Gary's great. I love them both, equally. Paul Whitehouse. Yeah, Paul Whitehouse. Is... <laughs> Paul Whitehouse was the real genius in that show. That was... It was amazing. No, it was a... I, used to... I used to absolutely love that show, the Harry Enfield and Chums. It was good fun. It was a very, very, very I'm fun spitting show. a lot. I think I need to go to the dentist. I think I saw it going on. I spitting... <laughs> Sorry, mate. You'll yeah. be glad you missed that. You'll be yeah. glad you missed that. Thank you, then, because a lot of spray here. I can't leave it at that, but I was, you know, we're coming to the end now, but you know, I don't think we can end it on uh, spitting. It's, a, it's very pumpy. So there's only Lady Windermere's fan. Yeah. Is, the, uh, is there any spitting in Lady Windermere's fan? Is there at the Vaudeville Theatre? Uh, See, this is good, it's ending, so I can't talk to you. <laughs> I'm usually in bed now, and. Um, until the 7th of April, thank you very much. And what are you going to be doing next? Are you moved on to your next project already? I'm right? reading scripts, darling. I am just sifting through a pile. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm just reading scripts. There might be something I might be doing that might be quite interesting for me, not for you. But, um, <laughs> but that's not all sort of set in stone yet, or green litters, they say. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, watch this space, but... It's directing that I really love, so please don't have a go at me for not acting anymore. Everyone always has a go at me, but I want to do what I love. I want to be happy in my life. <laughs> I haven't got long, so just leave me be and be happy. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I hope you are long. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Kathy Burke. Kathy Burke. You have been 
listening to Rich Tate's Let's Respect Here podcast with me, Rich Tate, and my guest, Kathy Burke. The music we're currently listening to, listen to it. Mm, it's nice. It's, uh, it's by Pest. Uh, they know we're using it. Uh, it's, thank you to everyone at Let's Respect Here. Thank you to everyone at Go Faster Strike. Thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide, especially Orange Mark. We owe you some orange juice, Mark. Uh, and uh, this is produced by Ben Walker in Sky Potato, Garu, Faster Strike, and Fuzz Production, and it goes out on the internet. Thank you for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.